Welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now, here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Linda Langiotti, SVP of Strategic Channels at CCS. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So, Linda, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of the discussion is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So, Linda, the floor is yours. Okay, well, thank you. Um, I'm Linda Langiotti, and I am with CCS Medical. I've actually been with the company 28 and a half years, which is probably unheard of in today's marketplace. Um, I had the opportunity um, to do a lot of different roles here. So I kind of grew up with the company, and I have a pretty broad-based knowledge within our specialties. And today in my role, I get the opportunity to work with the various components of our business, whether it's the operators, the billing side, the regulatory side, the manufacturers, and even um, work with our government. And I present to both um, regulatory feedback. I work with industry groups. I really have an opportunity to be broad-based. Um, I'm also, um, in the last year and a half, I am part uh, the chairperson of the AA Home Care's Diabetes Council, which is a new council of all the competitors in our space working together to influence policy in D.C. So it's been really a great opportunity to expand um, my work. That's great. And I know you just said you've been at CCS for over 28 years. So you know, what got you into healthcare in the first place? Interesting enough, I was actually in personnel. So um, CCS was a client of mine and it was with a company they, uh, a company called MP Total Care who merged with CCS in 2005. And it was a small mom and pop traditional kind of DME company. And um, I saw a great opportunity to um, make a difference daily, not only with within the organization, but within my work. So I really felt a need to help people. And I felt like I wasn't doing as much as I wanted to in personnel. So it was a natural um, transition to healthcare. And then I just never left. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a pretty common story of finding a kind of a connection. And then once you get into it, into the healthcare industry, you never want to leave. But you, know, you kind of just mentioned, you know, health, you know, kind of clarified a little bit that CCS is a DME company. So can you help provide just an introduction of what actually is DME? Because you know it's possible that this might actually be the first time I'm act- I'm talking about DME on the show. Sure. So DME stands for Durable Medical Equipment. You will also call the, hear the term HME, Home Medical Equipment. Um, I tend to use those two um, acronyms interchangeably, and so does the industry. Traditionally, the DME providers started as local businesses to help patients transition out of hospital settings into the home. The kind of things you might think of would be wheelchairs, walkers, canes, hospital beds, oxygen. But durable medical equipment is much more than the big big items at a local provider. There are a lot of other medical devices and equipment and supplies that are covered through this benefit and through this category that is delivered through the mail. And so um, that's kind of what we do as DME providers. Everyone might have a broad-based DME company or a specific DME company. It just depends on the model of the business. So you kind of just mentioned that it helped, you know, traditionally DME uh, suppliers and providers helped with um, patient transition. 
um, you know, maybe it sounds like maybe from a facility to the home. So, you know, was that kind of the scope of the role or, you know, what, where do DME uh, providers fit within the industry? I think we're kind of this unique, unique place. We're, we're kind of, um, we're local, but we're also national. And I think what DME providers do is they bring patients in the home. And I actually, um, I saw an interesting stat and I just wanted to share this with you. Um, some of my work with a, um, AA Home Care enables me to get a lot of great information about the industry. So um, AARP did a study and consistently these studies, they've done it over and over. And it says 77% of adults 50 and older would rather be treated in their home than any other setting. So we, as the DME providers, we come into the home and we provide you with the equipment supplies to manage either your chronic condition or your acute condition to get you transitioned out of the hospital setting into the home setting. And so for us, we're a mail order DME. So we're providing chronic, for chronic conditions, your equipment and supplies. And we're doing much, much more than that. And we can talk about that in a little bit in the future here, but we're evolving, but that's what we're doing. We, we bring those supplies to your home based on a prescription from your healthcare prescriber and a healthcare prescriber can be a doctor or any other um, approved uh, clinical designation. And then we bill your insurance. So we take all the worries away from you and then we pride ourselves in being experts in what we do. So we provide not only experts on the products, the nuances of the products, but also on the medical policies, the billing policies to really take the burden off the patient and enable them just to focus on their health. So as you're thinking about that process, you know, how does someone select which company they're going to receive their DME from? Is it usually driven by clinician preference or do patients Usually it's driven by clinician preference and manufacturing. So there's all, the whole industry is various sales reps calling on clinicians, selling our expertise, product offerings. And so usually it is once a physician's office or hospital discharge planner, um, you know, or your managed care organizations, um, you know, care coordinators, they find people they like working with and can count on and they tend to refer uh, patients, and I'll use the word beneficiary when they're Medicare patients, but patients to a provider. And it's also candidly by insurance, right? So your insurance kind of dictates where you go sometimes too. Yeah, no, that that all definitely makes sense. It's, you know, it sounds like it's not too different from the rest of the experience within healthcare. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, kind of, you all, you mentioned that you do a lot of work, it sounds like on the policy front and on the regulatory front. So, what what kind of is that regulatory landscape look like when it comes to DME? It's amazingly complex. And I think that's what makes me so unique because um, I've been doing this so long. Um, you have the federal policies, right? You have the government, the Medicare policies that Medicare advantages may follow. Then you have state licensure policies. Then you have state Medicaid policies and regulations. And then each individual insurance company may have some sort of regulatory environment. So as a provider, it's much more complex than anyone, especially national providers like CCS. So what I do is I work to really learn those rules and read those regulations. And I try to articulate common sense approaches that are much more um, streamlined than because regulatory, unfortunately, the government can get bureaucratic, right? We all know that. So what we try to do as providers is go to them and work with them to streamline to better serve the beneficiary. 
So do you find much success in when you go to the regulator, the regulators and getting them to understand kind of the practical realities and impacts of the regulations? It ebbs and flows, I will tell you. So, so sometimes you feel really good and you make quick impact. <laughs> sometimes you could speak for years. I think one of the unique things is that in our role at CCS, one of our key disease states is diabetes. The Diabetes Caucus is one of the biggest congressional caucuses. So you have, we work not only with CMS, but members of Congress and their staffers. And when it comes to diabetes, because of the spend and the growth in diabetes, we do tend to get um, uh, some ears to listen. And I think there's a lot more um, collaboration in our market now than there ever was between both the manufacturers and providers. And I think that makes a huge difference. Um, but it's, there's no easy wins here. You, you, everything takes time. Yeah, no, I think that's you know probably broadly applicable when you're talking about any type of regulatory schema, and especially as you said, you know, with it being very complex for DME, that I think is just reflective of healthcare on the whole. Um, you know, because you always have those interplay between Medicare and Medicaid, and then states, and then the private insurers. Yeah, it is. It's it's and every time you think you have a handle on it, a new regulation or a new rule will come out, or a new benefit class will change. And it it it, it I think it's one of the reasons I've stayed for twenty half twenty eight plus years. It's kind of always interesting. Like I don't get bored because there's always a new challenge coming my way. And I guess from that change perspective, you know, do you see changes on an annual basis or more frequently? You know, because. I'm just thinking, you know, like what comes to mind is, you know, like the Medicare fee schedules where they'll introduce, you know, modifications on an annualized basis, whether it's for physicians or hospitals. And if I recall correctly, is there a, a specific DME fee schedule as well? Yeah, there's a specific DME fee schedule that is updated quarterly. Usually they change it once a year and they do put out regulation mid-year or so that requires comment. And sometimes there's nothing to comment on. Sometimes there's a great deal of change. So yes, I, I, I hate it could be annual. It could be every six months. It could be in the middle of a quarter. It, it, it is so, there's no rhyme or reason. You just have to really stay on top of all of the updates coming out from all the various agencies that you work with. Yeah, no, that, that definitely sounds like a, a challenge that would keep multiple people busy full time. Yes, it but does. I, you know, with, with some of those changes, have there been any particular, particularly big ticket um, items that have come through in the past couple of years that you know are dri maybe driving significant change within the DME industry? Yeah, one of the big things that happened, and we have a couple, we have a new one on the table, but in the, I mean, we literally had all of our HICPIC codes, the billing codes changed this year. They introduced new HICPIC codes last year for a new item. They changed all of our existing codes for existing items this year. And when you look at people like us and what we do, when, when you hear that the government's changing HICPIC codes, billing systems have to be updated. Like the, the amount, and it's not just within the government, it's all the associated uh, coordination of benefits across the healthcare spectrum. So it's it's very complex and it's systems, it's people, it's education, it's policies. All of that has to be updated off of what you see as a simple little line item. Oh, we're going to change the codes. Um, right now, we specifically, Medicare has put out a new regulation and we did comment on it that they were, we had some conversations with Medicare about a policy related to CGM. And one of the things that came out of those conversations is the policy group at Medicare um, realized they didn't hadn't codified in law the consent rules for our industry, how we get consent to ship in order. 
And while they were in the medical policies called the local coverage determinations, they weren't in regulation at a federal level. So the government came out and said, we want to codify our rules. We want to put it in rulemaking. And we're very fortunate and we do appreciate that they recognize, based on some conversations that our groups had done um, with our council, the AA Home Care Council, Diabetes Council, but also some other groups came forward. And we all worked together and said, you're not being realistic. You've, you, they had a 14-day window for consent. For sh- But the challenge was, if a patient has a change in therapy and needs new prescriptions, new this, that window didn't give us enough time to do our job to serve the beneficiary. So Medicare recognized that, and they're going to codify and change those rules to a 30-day window, which is widespread supported by the industry. And we were happy about that, and we want to applaud them for listening to industry members and doing that. Yeah, no, that that kind of you know, positive back and forth sounds, um, you know, like it allowed both sides to present what they were thinking about and reach a place where there is, you know, it sounds like kind of mutually beneficial compromise. But, you know, when you're talking about consent, you know, like what type of consent um, was being required and how is that a change from the past? Well, that's where it gets interesting. So, you know, the prior rules were like, they wanted, you know, a lot of documentation for consent. Literally, we would have to ask the patients, how many days on hand of supplies do you have left? Even though we have a history of shipping, we know their prescription, we know what their use should be. And it was very complex. And those calls were very long or any kind of electronic communication becomes very long because you're having to collect so many data elements. So, The other thing they put into that proposed rule was a simpler consent process. Basically, you just need to confirm they're still using, they still want supplies, they need supplies, and that would be enough. And again, that's another thing we really, as an industry, said, thank you, that makes sense. I think um, the one thing that we did ask them and they did ask for feedback on is how you get consent. Technology is advanced, right? Text and, and email and all these electronic mechanisms and there are a lot of HIPAA rules and guidance, of course, around all those those technology. But we basically are asking Medicare, hey, can you follow the commercial market? So if you think about, if you're on a chronic medication with your local pharmacy in a commercial space, you get a text saying, do you want your meds or just come pick up your medication? And simply by picking it up, that was consent. You went and got it and that's consent. We're asking Medicare, well, could it be simpler? Will you allow text consents a simple yes? Define the electronic opportunities because technology is changing so quickly that it would, and the number one complaint CCS has, and we put in our letter, is that we contact beneficiaries too much. They're overwhelmed by all of our calls and our contacts. Well, we're only doing that to follow regulation. So this would better serve the community. Yeah, that's that was a really interesting point that you or a couple of points that you made in there. One being that in kind of a reversal of what you usually hear is you're ask, actually asking CMS to follow the commercial market. Whereas I feel like, as I said, you usually hear that the commercial market is adapting to changes that CMS ends up making. And then also that you were talking that you just mentioned that there were too many contacts with beneficiaries and that they're you know, it sounds like they're being overwhelmed uh, a bit. Um, and for those of you just joining, I'm talking about Linda Langiotti from CCS. And we're talking a lot about the history of DME and regulation. And, you know, I guess, Linda, beyond the, you know, those, it sounds like those pending changes or soon to be implemented changes around consent. Have there been any regulatory changes or other broader changes 
that are that's maybe like pushing value-based care or you know kind of similar approaches into the DME market kind of given the forces that have been impacting other areas of care delivery? Well, I would say that you know certainly with the pandemic we saw a lot of change in DME, right? We saw the um advent of telehealth and Medicare finally adapt adopting that for more chronic conditions and so forth. I think one of the things that we're seeing as CCS is there is a gap in this total care model. Um, to take care of beneficiaries. If you look at DME, we've talked a lot about DME, about equipment and supplies being delivered to the home. That's one component of care. And I'll speak, speak specifically for a second about diabetes. If you look at diabetes as a disease state, and that's one of the disease states we serve, you know, getting you your insulin delivery devices, the pumps, and your continuous glucose monitoring to monitor your sugar so you know what to deliver with your insulin. That's one component. And CCS does that very well. And that's considered quote unquote DME. But there's also an insulin or metformin component, a medication component. And often the market's fragmented. They're having to use multiple providers to get those supplies. So how do you get a provider who can do the equipment and the medication, but then the clinical support? And now you're talking about value-based. So when you look at what we're doing and evolving, we onboard you onto the products with a clinician. We follow up with clinicians. We have interventions with clinicians. And that whole, before, if you look at what used to happen, the DME company would provide the service. A pharmacist would give you your medications and give you a service. You might have a pump trainer or a certified diabetes educator at your your doctor's office. And it was very fragmented. They weren't all talking to each other because they're all different companies. What we're trying to do is give you a model where we do all of that across and take care of you as a holistic approach, plus add analytics. So one of the things that we have is millions of pieces of data where we can predict your your outcomes and what is going to happen based on our experience with other beneficiaries. And what we're trying to do is then apply clinical interventions to make your life easier. And if you look at diabetes, one of the things with those living with diabetes that is so burdensome is the amount of decisions they have to make every day. Every time they eat, they have to make a decision. How much insulin do I bolus? So what we're trying to do is technology is making it more seamless, but we're trying to create that whole other part of support for them as well. Yeah, and it, you know, kind of, it sounds broadly speaking that process or that broader continuum that you're talking about really talks. It seems like it talks about like kind of the patient experience and just you know implementing that patient centric approach, which is also one of the you know an, another popular concept when you when it comes to healthcare broadly. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things we do, we do have some specific programs with some national payers, and I was just chatting with one of them, and one of them we've been doing for quite some time, and we have a proven track record of reducing A1Cs, which is one of the the, the data elements people look at it at about you know managing diabetes. I think one of the things we find interesting is with our approach in these programs is that even those who have been living with diabetes for quite some time, who have been on the technology for years and years and years. When our programs intervene, we teach them new things or there's benefits of their products they've forgotten about. And we, by just having that personal relationship. So when I chatted earlier about patients being overwhelmed with our contacts, they don't want to be contacted just to place an order. They, but when you get a clinician to call them and, and, and talk to them about how they feel and how's it going and let me give you a little hint on your, you know, that is a different point. They really do want to engage with us with that. Yeah, so it's very interesting because as you said, it's, you know, 
if you were being driven to have a high number of touches with the patients, you know, if, as you said, you're able to make them more meaningful and not just, uh, hey, you need to reorder this or can you confirm that you want us to reorder? Now you're delivering more value and making the experience something that maybe one that someone looks forward to when they get that outreach. Yeah. And I think that's where we're being. I mean, I'm really proud of like the vision that CCS has had and how we're trying to be at the forefront of change. Um, I feel really um, good about the company's future and how we are looking at this. And it's, it's, it's a challenge because there's so many people who want to look at us as a traditional DME and only pay for products and serve products, right? Nobody wants. To, so we're trying to find a way to bring this to the community and create the value that it should, it should have candidly. Yeah. And actually that's a great point. So, you know, as you're trying to get, it sounds like maybe payers or others to understand kind of that more holistic model, you know, what are some of the barriers or maybe, or other challenges that you're encountering and how have you been able to start to overcome them? Cost is always a barrier when you talk to payers, right? <laughs> but I think the the biggest thing you can overcome is, you know, they're, they're especially when they're Medicare Advantage, um, and we have a quite a quite a broad range of Medicare Advantage contracts as well. Um, so Medicare, as you know, Medicare, 50% of the population is on fee-for-service, 50% is now on Medicare Advantage plans. So um, in our world, we, we do tend to work with that population. We work across the spectrum. But when you look at that, I think five-star ratings and all of those other aspects are starting to come into conversations. And those who work with us on these programs are seeing the positive benefit. Um, and those, you just have to prove the outcomes and the cost savings to the plans. And you do that through outcomes. And, and that's how you really do it. But there's always a barrier about cost, right? Everybody talks like they want an outcome, but to always, they're not always willing to spend it. And it was interesting. Um, AA Home Care had a published something that said for every dollar spent in DME, they say, sell, uh, save 20 to $40 in other healthcare expense. So if you think about what we do, if we can really prove that to the plans, it makes a huge difference. They'll, they'll start to see the value. Yeah. And intuitively that would seem to follow where, you know, if as you're, you know, kind of that model you're describing, there's greater care coordination and greater continuity. So if you can actually, you know, have everyone understanding what's happening and be able to interact with beneficiaries more completely, that does seem like it would drive higher quality, more efficient utilization because you're not either having redundancies or missing something and allowing it to become more complicated before you actually start to intervene. Right. And I, you know, here, I'm going to give you another interesting thing. The world of diabetes, the amount of products and innovation that's coming out is amazing. And it's really cool stuff. Like it's, it's really doing some neat stuff. Nobody could like, we do this every day and we are really on top of it, but you know, not all the products are inoperable, but they don't all work together. And even these health plans who have diabetes programs, they can't possibly keep up with it like we do because we're on the front line working with the manufacturer. So I think part of it is just the advances in technology and staying attuned to everything and the changes. And it's it's pretty dynamic. And that makes it kind of fun because you're kind of always learning something new. Yeah. And I guess as you're driving that better coordination, you know, are you seeing further changes that you would like to see in the regulations or any of the governing rules that would more easily enable the kind of that new model that you've been developing? Um, I will tell you uh, that's slow, right? Um, we have right, 
<laughs> I wish I could. For example, a great example right now, there's a rule out there where um, CGM supplies, which are your continued what that you test your blood sugar, right? Your continuous glucose monitoring. Um, they all they they all of them talk to various insulin pumps, and so it creates a um, closed loop hybrid closed loop system, so the patient doesn't have to think. Um, uh, Medicare has created two set of rules on those products in terms of shipping and billing, which makes no sense because they all work together. <laughs> so we've been trying to work with Medicare and encouraging them to fix a broken rule there. Um, I probably have been talking about that for two and a half or three years. Like it's like a big it's a big soapbox moment for me. It just makes no sense. You have to treat the same disease state with multiple billing rules from the same payer. That makes no sense. That being said, I think, listen, it's pretty fragmented. When you look into, um, one of the things I get frustrated is coordination of care. So if you talk about a Medicare, Medicaid beneficiary, across, and we've got different HIC codes being used for billing, different benefit classes. It's frustrating to me. Like, I don't think the regulatory environment is keeping up with the technological advances. You see it even with e-prescriptions. The pharmacy world is all e-prescriptions. Medicare still does a ton of faxing for prescriptions. So there's some a lot of work to be done to catch up. <laughs> yeah, and actually that's, you know, kind of, as you just said, with a lot of areas to catch up on, you know, from your perspective, what do you think should be, you know, the next area or a few areas that should receive attention to help drive um, and enable more change? I would like to see some more um, consistency and billing for coordination of care between payers. I think that's a challenge in our industry. I would like to see um, more streamlined regulatory across when you're a national provider. I think it's just to manage 50 states, different sets of rules. And um, I, I just feel like it's very fragmented. And I, that's always been an issue. And I think as CGM becomes more of a standard of care, the lack of fragmentation shows up more and more. I think uh, Medicare's got to adopt e-prescribing. They're trying. There's some. There's a lot of work being done on that. I think Medicare's got to really look at the way they do things and kind of get more with technology advances. And um, that, that's again, that's in the works. There are some conversations and various groups out there, but I think there's more work to be done. Yeah, and I think that's always a fair point. It's, you know, kind of, as you said, it's, you know, it can be slow going, but at the same time, you probably want to balance that against moving too quickly, because if you do something on a rushed basis, you're, that's also going to create complications and have make you have to go back and change it after the fact. Yeah, and it's interesting, like one of the things that we're committed to as an industry, we've been trying to work with Medicare. So we try not just we're not going to complain. We're going to go with the various groups, but Medicare is a huge organization. And sometimes the different components don't know what the other side's doing. So it's like sometimes those conversations get a little frustrating, but we're trying to build the relationships because we all, if we could all work together and use some common sense, we might get to a, a common ground that is workable for all. Yeah, no, I think that, and again, that's a great point. And, you know, as you said, getting everyone to work together and you know, understanding that you all have the common goal of trying to make the industry work better and serve patients better. And unfortunately, Linda, that's actually going to have to be our parting point because believe it or not, we're already out of time. <laughs> okay. uh, so I want to thank my guest, Linda Langioti, for a great conversation today. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag HCDEJURE. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.